Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hello, Mike. Hey, Al, how are you? How's it going? Hey, I'm real good. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Yeah, how you been? How you been? Good. Just Kid, rushed wife, home from work. Wife and kids good? The wife and kids are good. good. Wait, I don't have a wife. No, you don't. You're my wife. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, which is what makes this interest, uh, interesting, I guess. <laughs> my, the, you ever talk and like something just won't come out? Like you didn't have enough breath to kind of say something? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I, well, I flub things up sometimes. Well, you know, you have to talk the whole time. I just sit here like, oh, oh, ah, ooh. Ooh, ah. Yeah, I'm, I do a pretty good job. But but um, yeah, I want to say uh, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate it. And um, real quick, you know, we do have a, a little area called called patreon patreon you can become a patron and uh, support us uh, we are a little individual mom and pop podcast here we don't have some huge network like a lot of those big players out there so, we're not a franchise no and you'd notice that we don't have a lot of ads so and maybe none so you can click on some Mostly stuff that we none. recommend but um yeah we try to keep it nice and simple but go ahead and check it out you know it's only like five bucks to start out if you want and then uh, yeah help us out dip so. your toe in the water test us out yeah but uh, how's your week been going uh, good, a little hectic. We're recording this a little a couple days earlier than it's released Friday. So I just rushed home from work. It's been a whirlwind of a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to mention the big update that we had posted on our Instagram yesterday is that after about 18 and a half years, you can technically say that the Natalie Holloway case has been officially solved, even though we all knew that that absolute psychopath monster, Joran Vandersloot, was her murderer. We all knew that. Yeah. But the piece of crap finally admitted to what he did. And we assume he's telling the truth, but he's a pathological liar. So who knows what comes out of his mouth? Yeah. At least her family gets a little bit of closure. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of the comments were saying. Right. You know, if we could have some solved cases every single day, that'd be fantastic. It'd be amazing. I mean, it'd be great if none of these happened. And again, it's not bringing their daughter back, but it's that sense of closure that they finally got the answers that they knew all along. And he's going to pay for it. Yeah. Let's hope so. He needs to. Right. So um, anything going on in your personal life? Um, we're coming up on one year of no alcohol. Really? Yeah. And like, uh, by the time this is released, we'll have like two days left to go. Yeah. And, uh, it's so much fun judging people for drinking alcohol. We do I'm not. just kidding. I'm That's just a kidding. blatant lie. Yeah, we don't do that. We're not judgmental because we've been there. Yeah, exactly. We'd be judging ourselves. Hypocritical. Exactly. And I ain't no hypocrite. No. So, but it's been uh, good. I really don't see much of a difference for myself because, um, you know, I didn't abuse alcohol like you every single day. Yeah, right. Uh, every morning, noon and night. Oh, but. you know me. Instead of my coffee, I'd have my liquor. Yeah. Well, you had a little Bailey's. <laughs> in there you're like make it an irish coffee what do they say grandpa's cough medicine yeah no it was all about turning 40 and just not wanting to feel crappy anymore yeah i mean hey whatever if, if it's not the right time for you then go ahead and keep on drinking but uh for us yeah i'm 44 kind of halfway to death uh, hopefully halfway you know not like that i'm yeah, three quarters or anything like that boy you're really well i'm kind of okay well, we've talked about this before gloom. so i've got the obesity thing going oh i've got yeah my mom had a stroke when she was like 30 something well so. you beat that you're 44 so far so good and um you know i'm just in general if you're gonna guess who's gonna die first people would point to me immediately between the two of us well i'm more high strong so who knows yeah hey i guess we'll find out hopefully yeah. it doesn't happen during the podcast or actually maybe it would and then be like huge ratings no mike that's not what we want here. hey if it does guys though make sure you tell 
tell like absolutely everybody. Be like, listen, Mike died like on the air. But I'll, then it won't be the crime and coffee couple. Well, it'll just be the crime and coffee, Allison. Uh, well, I don't want that. I'd okay. rather you be sitting here right with me. Hey, but I could look down on you. I'd be like, hey, I, I, I was part of that. No, thank you. How was the reason? What was that cute thing I showed you? It was a poster for the wall and it says, um, the way I like to take my coffee is with you or something like that. The way I like to drink my coffee is with you. Oh, that's nice. So that's how I feel about you. So please don't leave. Okay. We have a pillow in our room that says, I want to live to be a hundred plus something one day. It's Winnie the Pooh. If you live to be a hundred, I want to be live, live to be a hundred minus one day. So, so I never have to live a day without you. Yes. That's how I feel. Uh, by A.A. A. Milne, who wrote Winnie the Pooh. I you're believe. so smart. Well, no, I'm not. I just remember certain things. Well, I think you're smart. Yeah. Well, I'm not. So um, besides that, we want to say one more thing. Our son Cameron got called up to the varsity football team. Yes. Yesterday. So he's very excited about that. They've because the, the JV team is done. So the varsity football team has two more games. So he's going to join them on the sidelines. Probably not play much, but be cool for him to come out there. And mm-hmm. he's a excited. freshman in there with the big dogs. Yeah, exactly. One of the guys uh, dapped him up today. You just learned what dapped up means. I, I just took it from reference how you said it. Yeah, I, it's kind of like, you know, shaking hands and a little bro hug a little bit. If I ever say dapped up, please punch me in the throat. Don't say anything. Just walk up to me and punch me in the throat. And then you'll be like, hmm, yeah, that makes I sense. Said, damn it. I said dapped up. <laughs> yeah. You're like, dap me up, bro. <laughs> yeah, so he got dapped like up. something I'd say. He got dapped up by a little varsity player and he's like, hey, little Pernicky, good job, bud. Yeah, so it's he's, exciting he's for him. Yeah. So if you're ready, I am. I'm ready, always. So this is a crazy case. I hope too many people haven't heard it. As I was doing my research, it's dawned on me that I had heard a podcast on it. But this is the murder of Lauren Giddings. So Lauren Teresa Giddings was born on April 18th, 1984 to parents Bill and Karen. She had two younger sisters. This was Caitlin and Sarah. And the family lived in Laurel, Maryland, which was between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. So in 2006, Lauren graduated from Agnes Scott College in Decatur, Georgia, with a major in political science and a minor in religious studies. In 2008, she moved to Macon, Georgia. And then this is where she started law school at Mercer University. So Lauren's sister, Caitlin, described Lauren as someone who didn't truly blossom until she entered college. She was said to be loud and fun and someone who was intelligent, mature. She had a great head on her shoulders. She was kind and she saw the good in people. She loved animals, especially her Pekingese excuse me, Pekingese dog, which I love this name, Butterbean. Oh, and I love Pekingese dogs too. We have a special place in our heart because my best friend has a Pekingese or had a Pekingese. So they're just a a wonderful breed of dog. But so Butterbean was a doll. I've seen pictures. And you know, you mentioned um, really kind of, you know, blossomed in college. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people do that because high school really kind of sucks. It's, uh, I had a great time. You were, you thought it was fine, but it's just kind of like a lot of people judging everybody and clicks and crap like that. But you go to college and it's like, there's somebody for everybody Mm -hmm. and you're not like everyone's put into these circles like i don't why do we have to have these groups and cliques like why can't we all just be cool together it almost feels like we stop pretending in college yeah we're more ourselves i think we like let the veil down as to who we really are and that's just you always say i was born a 40 year old i truly was yeah absolutely so high school just wasn't my cup of tea it's a good thing i'm into 40 year olds (laughs) it sounds like lauren it wasn't her cup of tea either So um, she was very outgoing. She was somebody that never struggled to make friends. Just a friendly, smiling, nice person you would generally want to be friends with. So Lauren was in a relationship with a man named David Vandiver. He was a lawyer in Atlanta. He was actually 20 years older than Lauren. The two met in September of 2007. And the age difference just, it wasn't an issue for them. 
They had similar senses of humor. They just clicked. And after Lauren passed the bar exam, after she was going to, the plan was that she was going to move in with David. So he's a lawyer as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Similar uh, interests. I'd have to say that the biggest thing about those, you know, age gaps is the you know, kind of your references, your like pop culture. Yeah. You know, like somebody that's 40 while you're 20, like they'd be joking about things from the 70s or 80s. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, I joke from the 90s, you know, so that that's a difference. But Yeah. And then too, as you get older, older, it yeah. becomes like the gap widens. Right. So in June of 2011, Lauren was 27 years old. She was exceptionally excited because there was a light at the end of the tunnel. She was excited for her future. She was the first person in her family to attend college. And after many long years of studying law at Mercer University in Georgia, she had finally graduated. She graduated in May. So it had been a very grueling time spent focusing on her studies, but she had her eyes set on the prize of becoming a public defender. The only one hurdle that was still in her way was, of course, to pass the Georgia bar exam. And from my understanding, it's not easy. So after graduation, Lauren's sister Caitlin got married in June. So she went back home to Maryland so that obviously she could be there to celebrate with her sister. But then after the wedding, she headed back to Georgia where she lived in Barrister's Hall, which was an apartment complex at Mercer that was designed for their law students. So she was going back there so that she could be alone in her apartment and truly put her nose to the grindstone and focus. And I know for somebody, for myself, I'm constantly doing podcast research. And I always tell you, if I'm in the house at certain times of day, we have two cats and a dog and two kids and it's impossible to focus. Like I get 10 minute chunks of time and then I'm pulled away for some reason. So I would totally do what she did and go back to a quiet apartment by herself to study. Yeah. And your your psyche is that of, you know, this is my place of study mm-hmm. also. So her mindset was my goal here is to get ready to pass that damn test. So she stayed in her apartment that was directly across from the university. She warned her family ahead of time that you're really not going to be hearing much from me because I am going to be all in on studying. I'm fully immersing myself in that. So her sister, Caitlin, recalls talking to Lauren for the last time on Friday, June 24th via text. She didn't notice until days later that Lauren never responded after this because we all know life gets hectic, especially for people studying law. Yes. And even her sister, she just got married. She's got her own life going on. So the last time anyone saw Lauren was Saturday morning, which was June 25th. So the previous evening, which was Friday the 24th, she and friends went out for drinks and then they listened to music downtown. She spent the night at her friend's house and left in the morning. From there, she went to the Macon Country Club to swim and relax by the pool. This was where David was a member. He had lent her his pass because he was out of town for the weekend. So at about 6.30 p.m., she got fast food and went back to her apartment. So one of Lauren's best friends since elementary school, this is Katie O'Hare, she lived in Maryland. So she was becoming concerned because she had not heard from Lauren for four days. She knew, obviously, Lauren was busy, but it wasn't like her friend to not reply to a single message. It just wasn't, even if she was busy. So on Wednesday, the 29th, Katie called around to Lauren's friends and family to see, have you heard from Lauren? Because I haven't. They hadn't. So Katie got a hold of Caitlin, and Caitlin contacted one of Lauren's friends and classmates who lived right there on campus. This is Ashley Morehouse. 
So since Ashley was local to where Lauren was, um, Caitlin asked Ashley, can you go over to Lauren's apartment and knock on her door and see if she's there? So when Ashley arrived, she did see Lauren's 2004 Mitsubishi Galant in the parking lot, but Lauren was not coming to the door when she knocked. So since Ashley knew where Lauren kept her spare apartment key, she and a couple of friends let themselves in to Lauren's apartment. They saw that the place looked completely normal. Nothing was out of place. Her ID, her purse, her laptop, her books, they all sat on a table. Truly nothing was out of place. Okay. So her cell phone was there. It had died. So they plugged it in. And when it charged back up, they were able to see that any of her last texts and calls had come from Saturday, which was four days earlier. And this was the last time anyone had seen her. So we're all coming down to that Saturday. So Ashley called 911 at this time. And in the meantime, from Maryland, Caitlin got a hold of her dad. You know, she's letting him know that Lauren's missing. They also called the Macon police. And Lauren's dad was starting to drive down to Macon to see what what is going on. And then he was going to file a missing persons report while he was there. And then her mom was going to fly down later that same day. So when police arrived at 12.52 a.m. in the early morning hours of Thursday, June 30th, they found no signs of forced entry. No items appeared to be stolen or missing. Nothing appeared to be amiss, just as her friend said. So police left the complex that early morning now at 3 a.m. because there were no signs of Lauren. So at 9 a.m., then it's now later that morning, Thursday, June 30th, an official investigation began. So police brought in a crime lab tech team and they used luminol inside the apartment to check for any traces of blood. Initially, they found nothing because, of course, they're going to start in like the living room area where you first walk in. When they reached the bathroom, however, the room lit up like a Christmas tree. Hmm. So blood covered the bathtub, smeared across the floor, and sprayed up the walls. At this point, police considered this to be a homicide case. Yeah, because of the spraying, you said. Massive amounts of blood. Yeah. Basically all over the bathroom. It's not like a little slip and fall accident. No. And Lauren's nowhere to be seen. You know, she's not at any of the local hospitals. Sure. So at the time, there were no witnesses and no suspects. So police are literally just starting to interview anyone who lived in the apartment complex, anyone who knew Lauren, just to see, did you hear something? Did you see something? They're putting all the pieces together of Lauren's last moments. So that's where they're finding out the last time anyone truly saw her was Saturday. So as detectives remained outside Lauren's apartment, they began to smell a foul odor. So they quickly determined, and they all say when you work in this sort of like law enforcement or whatever, you know the smell of decomposition immediately. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. So they said, one of the detectives said, while we were standing there, the wind started to turn. Immediately, I smelled an odor that I was very familiar with. We all smell things in life that smell bad. And that of a body or a decomposing body is one of the worst things you'll smell. But it is a very distinct smell. So basically, when the wind shifted, the smell seemed to be coming from these garbage bins that were sitting there on the complex. And all the cops look at each other like, oh, no. Oh, no, exactly. This is not what we want to find. So there, when they investigated these garbage bins, they found a human torso. Mm -hmm. And the torso was dressed only in a pair of pink jogging shorts. The body had been wrapped in black trash bags, and the head, legs, and arms were missing. It was later tragically confirmed that this torso belonged to Lauren. Sick. 
So Sarah and Caitlin, Lauren's sisters, had dropped their mom off at the airport at around this time, but they had to actually go back to the airport and pick their mom up after hearing this horrible news because they did not want their mom to hear this while she was by herself. Yeah. So police extended their search to an area of the neighborhood 10 blocks from the apartment, basically looking in that whole vicinity to try to help find clues that would solve this case. The following week, they searched in and around the apartments as well as along the Akmulji River, which, of course, I looked that up yesterday and forgot, like... I have dementia. So this was a land. They So they looked there. They looked in a Macon landfill, the drains, sewage systems. They were trying to locate the other parts of Lauren's body. It's so hard to even say that. Yeah. You know? It's like we're talking about it like matter of fact, and it's just so sad if you think about the human aspect. It's absolutely tragic. So they looked everywhere, all through the 16 buildings of apartments where Lauren lived as well. So when local media learned of this case, of course, they want to get the coverage. They all swarmed the area of Lauren's apartment complex. And as they did, they interviewed Lauren's next door neighbor. Excuse me. This is Stephen McDaniel. So he was just like kind of hanging around the area and they basically just grabbed him to talk to him, you know, just to get a a bit like a piece. Yeah. What's been going on? Uh, Can you explain the situation? So as they spoke with Stephen, who was a fellow law student who had been in class with Lauren, he seemed like a concerned local who was worried about his missing neighbor. The man seemed eccentric, but genuinely concerned for Lauren. And as he was interviewed, he described her as nice as can be and very much a people person. At the time he was speaking with the media, it was his belief that police were still searching for Lauren in hopes that they would find her alive. That was his belief. But as he continued to talk with the reporter, people started to notice he was referring to Lauren in the past tense, despite the fact that, you know, it was assumed, you know, to him that she was alive. Right. For instance, he said, Lauren was my neighbor. He said he had been with her friends when they entered Lauren's locked apartment. So when Ashley went over there and found the key, he trailed in with Ashley and some other people. So he speculated that someone could have snatched her while she was out running. As they continued to speak, the reporter made mention that a body had been found in the parking lot area, and this was when Stephen's demeanor immediately changed. So, well, what do you expect? I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm going to assume that he was the killer, obviously. So, what do you expect to put her body in the garbage near her house? Like, you don't think it's going to be caught? Or I'll seen? tell you why he thought that. Okay. So he immediately changed. He was previously just talking and talking and talking. All of a sudden, he became speechless. And at this point, he only managed to mutter the question, body? And at this point, he told the reporter that he needed to sit down and he wandered off by himself and sat on a nearby curb, seemingly in a daze. And now keep in mind that this was on TV. Right. This was caught on TV. You can see this on YouTube. You can watch this whole interview. So when he regained his composure and managed to come back to the interview, Stephen was visibly distraught. He was saying that he could not imagine who would possibly hurt Lauren since she was such a nice person. He mentioned that Lauren had actually intended to move out of her apartment that very day. So he breathed heavily. He began crying, though tears were not visible. And as he continued to speak about Lauren, he seemed to be able to quickly go from this like panting and crying, you can put in quotes, to answering questions more calmly and clearly. So it was kind of like erratic, you could say. Hmm. 
And he also said that when her friends checked her computer, they found an email that Lauren had sent. And in it, she mentioned that she was scared and that someone had tried to break into her apartment on Thursday night and she was afraid to stay there. So he said that to the reporter. So just to give you a little bit of a background, Stephen was born on September 8th, 1985. He was raised near Atlanta, Georgia to parents Mark and Glenda. He basically had a pretty unremarkable childhood. In college, he kept mostly to himself. He was shy and awkward around others. You could tell in the interview, like kind of an odd demeanor. Um, At the time of Lauren's murder, Stephen had only two more weeks in his apartment lease or on his apartment lease, and then he was going to move back in with his parents. So Stephen was six feet tall. He was lanky, and he had this unruly mane of just huge frizzy brown curls. So while many found him odd, Lauren had always been kind to him. The two had each moved into Barrister Hall in the same week of August 2008, three years earlier. They lived next door to each other throughout that whole time. Wow, so they know each other pretty well. Mm-hmm. Being a generally nice person, Lauren was friendly in her, with her interactions with Stephen. She was always polite, even when he would offer on multiple occasions occasions to take her out on a date. Uh. She always turned him down nicely, explained that she had a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, never was she rude to him. So both Stephen and Lauren had been members of Mercer's chapter for the Federalist Society throughout their time in law school. Lauren had been elected president while Stephen served as vice president. He was described as dependable, obsessively neat, and even as a small child, he was super neat. And he was also said to be very intelligent. So before his interview, police spoke with Lauren's neighbors and each agreed to have their apartment searched except for Stephen. Hmm. So he claimed, it's the lawyer in me, and I'm always protective of my space. Kind of makes sense. And he eventually allowed one detective to walk through, but only if he could be there at the same time. I'm sorry, if my neighbor was missing and I had nothing to do with her disappearance, uh, sure, officers, come on in. I say this every time, but it's like, I always worry. What if they find something that had nothing to do with it, but they think it does, and all of a sudden I'm a suspect, and then I'm getting grilled, and it's like... I, you know, I, yeah, I'd rather that you know you not search if you don't have to. Like, there's nothing here. I'm, I promise, there's not. Yeah, know. but then that makes you stand out to them. Like, sure. What well, do you have luck. to hide? Why don't you want? Well, to here's come the thing: through? if you're not guilty, then you don't have to worry about anything because they're not going to find anything to be able to search your house. True. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm not advocating for people not to, but just telling you what's going on in my brain. So when he did allow police to walk through, it was 1.40 p.m., and the police took note of a large knife, a samurai sword, a rifle, and two handguns. These That's are things weird. that he just blatantly had. I mean, usually it's those weird guys that do have the samurai swords. No offense to anybody that owns a samurai sword. I mean, they, they are cool. If somebody said, you want one, I, I would say absolutely. Probably wouldn't put it on my wall or anything, but no. just to say I have a samurai sword. So police noted his bizarre behavior and the fact that he was hanging around the frenzy of activity that day. And after he gave his infamous interview with the local news station, police were even more interested in speaking with him. So despite the talkative person he presented himself as on TV with the reporter, they bring him into the station and he's basically a zombie at this Mm. point. I watched the interaction. It was probably about two hours. I kind of moved through it because there was a whole lot of the same thing happening. So he was basically sitting in the um, interrogation uh, room like in a trance-like state. And when he was asked questions, he answered a lot of them and just simply yes, no, or I don't know. 
So while alone in the room, he would sit as still as a statue and just stare straight ahead. It was so oh, creepy. Weird. Yeah. They'd be watching and be like, check out this guy, oh, man. Like, he's a friggin' weirdo. Yeah. So during his interrogation, Detective Carl Fletcher mentioned that condoms had been found in Stephen's apartment. But Stephen had mentioned that he was a virgin and he was saving himself for marriage. Hmm. So detectives asked him, why would we have found those in your apartment? So he did admit that he had previously entered a few of his classmates' homes while they were gone, and he took them at that point. Hmm. So at this point in time, this is a breaking and entering situation. So it's just getting more bizarre. It's like, wait, you took condoms from their homes? Yeah, you have no intention of using them. Okay. Why? It's like, uh, hmm, did you take anything else of value or just condoms? Like, and you're a weird dude, man. From what I understand, no, he really didn't take anything else. Okay. So with this information, he was arrested on burglary charges charges while police continued to gather evidence against him because they knew they knew he was involved in lauren's murder well this way they can hold him right so he's being held for that so on july 1st police obtained a search warrant so now they're they did that quick walkthrough of his place now they're actually able to really search so they went inside his apartment and found packaging for a hacksaw and when they entered the building's laundry room, they actually found the saw that matched the packaging. And on the blades of the saw, forensic examination found traces of Lauren's DNA. Okay. Well, so we know what he what tool he used. Yeah. They also found a sheet that was covered in blood that was later confirmed the blood belonged to Lauren, as well as a pair of her underwear. So blatantly in his apartment are these pieces of evidence. Oh, what a disgusting human being. They also found a master key for the entire apartment complex. Wow. Yes. So he must have gotten that from the landlord or whatever. I think he stole it yeah. and had a copy, perhaps. Um, and then this is how he went into his fellow classmates' places and took the condoms. Yeah, nice he, and easy. He just used the master key. Mm. That is so creepy so creepy so on his computer they found he had posted on a number of blogs and forums discussing violence and torture towards specifically women investigators also found 52 images of child pornography on a oh, flash drive this is another one of those involuntarily celibate guys he's oh saying oh my gosh 100 percent. he's saying i'm saving myself for marriage but it really means no girl is ever going to talk to me because i'm a weirdo so i'm, I'm going to pretend it's my choice yeah okay steven sure yeah. it's your choice and it's the women's fault because mm -hmm. you know they're the crazy witches that won't talk to men and are too high up it's like no man you're just a freaking weirdo that nobody wants to be with and you know how you get those vibes and i you've said no because you're not a woman but you get vibes from people and you're like, ooh, I'm staying away from this. Yeah, I trust those vibes. So he also had a flash drive full of Lauren's personal photos since he frequently visited her social media pages and just like copied her pictures. Oh my God. His search history indicated that while he were, was looking at Lauren's photos, he was also watching vo violent pornography. So, the so I mean, and I don't want to gloss over the child stuff that was found either. I mean, that's oh, disgusting. it's horrific. If you find child stuff, like there should be another level of like, okay, this person's clearly sick. Like oh, they can't be out in public. Agreed. You, you know? can't take that away. Like, no, unless I don't know what it is. Like burn something in their brain until we find that that like you can get rid of that area of their brain. Then yeah, they're they're, they're a danger safe. to children. Right. So the police even managed to retrieve video footage that had been deleted. So what this footage showed when they were able to get it was that Stephen was secretly filming in like he was standing outside Lauren's apartment filming inside. So what he would do was he would hoist a six foot wooden stick and attach on the top of the stick a camera that he used 
to you he put duct tape around it and he literally stood on the ground floor outside of lauren's window peering into her second floor apartment Mm -hmm. and you can actually go online and see this video footage you can't see lauren in the video but the fact that you're on the second floor so oftentimes with that being the case you wouldn't even necessarily close your blinds in a lot of time right and you know when it's dark you're not going to look for a little camera sitting like you know on the bottom of the window oh you wouldn't see it you know if you have your lights on inside you wouldn't see it right so it's just so horrible to think that she was being watched while again you're thinking you're in the safety of your own place by yourself and this absolute lunatic was creep creep like creep factor off the charts you know if there's like one of those those gauges that's like this is like you know Mm -hmm. tipping all the way yep so the video footage police had found was actually taken on the night of lauren's murder so more than 200 pieces of evidence were reportedly gathered that indicated that steven was clearly lauren's murderer so the police also found obviously the master key which again is just so gross but it was clear that steven had been stalking lauren for some time why her i just because she was probably because she was pretty and sweet and kind and they had the interest of law school together and he just set his sights on her and stories like this like really you know make people not want to talk to different Mm -hmm. people you know it's a really sad situation because you know 99.9 percent of people are just you know maybe a little weird and they're not going to end up murdering you but that that story like this sticks in your head because we don't know we don't know which person is just kind of a little strange or different or who's got ill intentions towards you but it was clear that he had been stalking lauren for some time he had taken many photos of her without her knowledge as well as again these videos that he's hoisting this creep ass stick up with the camera he had religiously searched her facebook and linkedin pages Lauren had been suspicious that something was going on within her apartment. A year before her murder, Lauren had spoken with her sister about the fact that she swore things had been moved around when she was out of the apartment. It's like something she said to her sister. I feel like someone has been in here while I've been gone. Mm -hmm. That's horrible, especially when you live alone. Yep. So before her murder, Lauren's fears were growing, and the last email she sent was to her boyfriend. This was the email that Stephen was referencing when he was talking to the reporters that Lauren said something about somebody having broken into her apartment. So she emailed David on June 25th, 2011, while he was away on a golf trip in California. She told him that she believed that someone had tried to break into her apartment on Thursday night and referred to whoever it was as making hoodlums. David said that when he got the email, he was actually on his way to the airport to fly back to Georgia. He had not yet responded to the email because he wanted to talk to her in person about what was going on. Yeah. And obviously her time in this apartment was coming to an end. Mm -hmm. So on August 2nd, 2011, Stephen McDaniel was charged with first degree murder and he continued to maintain his innocence through this. He pleaded (laughs) not guilty. Yeah, good luck. What a joke. Yeah. We, we found every single thing. You're a huge stalker. We found the, the tools you used to kill her. We found other pieces of evidence, which it sounds you know, like there's tons. It's like, you, you did this, man. It's like, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And then it, you know, says it's, and it has like, you know, identification that says, I'm a duck. It and had a tattoo across its chest that says, I am a duck. Yes. In, in multiple languages. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a duck. So on August 23rd, he was charged with seven counts of child sexual exploitation for the child pornography that they found in his apartment. And in December, he pleaded not guilty to those charges. 
So he was unable to post his $850,000 bond, so he remained in jail. That's too bad. Awaiting trial. Good stay behind those bars. Yeah. So on February 21st, 2013, it was announced that the death penalty would not be pursued, which was something that Lauren's family wanted. And the reason why they didn't want it to be uh, pursued was because it could really halt a case going to trial. Sometimes it could take as long as seven years. And at this point in time, they're already coming up on the two-year mark of when their daughter was taken from them. So they just want this to go to trial and just get justice and and move on with their lives, get some closure for this horrible thing that happened. I'm not judging anybody whether they want it or not. You know, that's up Mm -hmm. to them. So one week before his trial was due to begin, he changed his plea to guilty on April 21st, 2014 which then this avoided a trial because he pleaded guilty. So at this time, we're about three years out from when Lauren was actually murdered. So as part of his plea deal, Stephen recounted the events of what happened during Lauren's murder on the condition that the child pornography and burglary charges against him would be dropped. Isn't that so ironic? Like, that's what you're worried about? It's sickening, like the negotiation. And if, like, if, if, if that's going to take, you know, take things off and he's actually going to say guilty, then go ahead, whatever. Yeah, Stephen, we'll take the count off that you went into the apartments and took some condoms. Yeah. Sure, we'll drop that. But you killed a girl. Right. Let's concentrate on that. So in his written confession to the court, Stephen said that he had waited until Lauren fell asleep before letting himself into her apartment at about 4.30 a.m. on Sunday, June 26, using his master key to get in. He walked through her apartment wearing a mask and gloves and stood in her bedroom watching her sleep for a while. As he walked closer to her bed, apparently he stepped on a squeaky floorboard. This woke Lauren up. He said that when Lauren saw him, she calmly told him, get the F out. At this point, he lunged at her and grabbed her around the throat and they tumbled from the bed to the floor. Lauren struggled to get away, but in her struggle, the bottom half of her body went under her bed and this prevented her from being able to kick out at him Uh, and also to run out of the room. Yeah, well, I mean, she was probably trying to get somewhere, you know, where he couldn't get to or whatever it is. It's a poor thing. Well, and keep in mind, this was at four in the morning while she was sleeping. I mean, you can't, I, I have no idea what I'm doing for the first 15 minutes when I wake up. You do not expect in the darkness of your own bedroom to hear a squeak and look up and there's a person with a mask standing in front of you i mean choking you seconds later it's like the worst it's a thing we have nightmares about like when i'm home alone this is the scenario that's in my mind it's a nightmare so during his attack lauren managed to pull the mask from his head and when she saw his face she said steven please stop isn't that just so heart-wrenching that this girl was kind to him and every interaction they ever had and you would think that, like he once he's recognized it would like almost hit him you know somewhere but he must not just have that humanity to him at all no and he indicated that he strangled lauren for 15 minutes until she stopped moving and when she did he dragged her body from the bedroom and into the bathroom and you know what is i don't know if it's even possible but like stories like this it might be you know 
we, we probably don't have that control, but just to like pretend that you're dead, you know, a minute in or something. But I don't know if it's possible. Like your brain is probably in such shock oh that it's just gosh. trying to gasp for air that like you're doing whatever, you of know, of course. I mean, it, that's the first thing I would, I would, you know, try to like learn from these types of situations is like pretend, just pretend and lay there. Cause like we always say, it takes much longer than you think. Well, right? 15 minutes. I mean, yeah. he worked on it's, oh, oh, I hate so, to even say that. So, and I'm not trying to say anything about Lauren no, at all. I want to make that clear, not. 100% clear, but it's just uh, so, so gut wrenching that he choked her for 15 minutes knowing full well he she knew who he was 15 minutes is a very long time very to long. be doing something like that like three minutes is a long time you sit here for three minutes and think of choking somebody like imagine five times that and i think it probably took as long as it did because i'm sure lauren tried to fight her ass off yeah. so this monster dragged her body into the bathroom he placed her into the bathtub and then he left her apartment and returned to his own just next door he claimed he had not gone into her apartment with the intention of killing her he only did so because she she woke up and recognized him. He just wanted to watch her sleep? Yeah, according to him. Who the hell knows? Right. So he then logged onto his computer and spent the whole day Sunday online looking at God knows what and then returned to Lauren's apartment that evening where he then dismembered her in her bathtub. He placed her body parts in black garbage bags and scattered them in various dumpsters around the university. And sadly most of these dumpsters had gotten emptied and they'll never recover the rest of Lauren. Yeah. So um, he placed Lauren's torso, of course, as we know, in the trash bin right at the apartment complex on June 28th. So normally the garbage would have already been removed from the apartment complex when police did discover her torso. So that's why he was so sure he got away with it because nine times out of 10, the, the garbage men would have already come through that area and taken the trash. Yeah. Like our garbage goes out at like between four and 5 a.m. in the morning. So by 10 a.m., you expect you're in the clear. Right. So he he was cocky, and that's why he spoke to the reporters because it was his impression. All the evidence was gone. Why so, was it delayed? Did they ever say? No, they didn't. Mm. So um, again, when Stephen gave his interview, it was his belief belief that he was in the clear. So it was discovered that Lauren was set to move out of her apartment that week. So odds are Stephen knew that his opportunity to do something bold in his demented head, what he considered to be bold, he knew time was running out. Yeah. And in fact, when he spoke to the reporters on TV, he had said Lauren was actually going to move out that day. So I think that's why he took this opportunity to make his attack. Yeah. He had been spying on Lauren for months. Again, he kept using this camera on a stick. He was devastated that he would never see her again. And, you know, they had both graduated. His chapter with knowing Lauren was was closing. The girl he's obsessed with. Yep. So he claimed that as he helped Lauren's friends search for her, he spoke with reporter. And when he spoke with reporters, he said he was in a dreamlike delusional state and convinced himself that Lauren was actually still alive. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Sure you did. Full of shit. And like you're just saying right now, Lauren's dad indicates that he believes about one third of the things that comes out of Stephen's mouth because he did have so much time to put this demented story together. So who knows? what's true right you know and he may have gone into that apartment with the full intention of killing her and you know steven for one thing lawyers are supposed to be good talkers and he slipped up when he said you know she they talked about her in the past tense. yeah and that's you know you're an idiot steven and even just being out there loitering about like dude like yeah. how'd that work out for you 
You're an asshole. Dirtbag. So on April 21st, 2014, Stephen McDaniel was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. So in 2018, he did try to appeal his sentence. He was denied by the Richmond County Superior Court. He remains at Hancock State Prison. He will not be eligible for parole until 2041, but he will be only 55 years old. So... Young enough to wreak havoc on this world. Yeah, that's insane, man. I hate these. I hate these freaking stories where it's like this piece of crap will be out in public again and looking up child porn and looking at some girls and whatever it's going to take. Like he's going to do something bad, mm-hmm. guaranteed. Like he should be killed in jail, like prison, whatever he like. He should be beaten like within an inch of his life. Like it's it's horrible. Like he's, so, he, he, can't, he can't be out with us. What I will tell you, though, and this is just a thought, but District Attorney David Cook fully expects that Stephen will spend the rest of his life behind bars. It's his belief that he will be denied parole at any of his hearings when he becomes eligible in 2041. Time will tell. Yeah, I mean, it all depends who's running the state or mm-hmm. whatever. But I mean, the South usually is pretty tough on that stuff. So. so in 2018, Stephen argued for a retrial. He claimed that his rights had been violated at the time of his arrest i mean if i'm a judge i'm like blah 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 you violated every single right of every single human being you had on picture not to mention the girl you life you took Uh, tell me more about how your rights were violated yeah using what he'd learned in law school he accused the police of using improper interrogation techniques and intimidation he also claimed that he had been insulted yelled at and he was denied medical care In 2022, he filed a petition arguing that the district attorney had stolen some of his defense documents and requested that the court vacate his conviction and release him. Okay. Well, obviously that didn't work out for him. He's still behind bars. In 2021, as the 10-year anniversary of Lauren's brutal murder approached, her family reflected on all that Lauren has missed in those passing years. Graduations, weddings, babies, birthdays, all within the family. Lauren's sister, Caitlin, said that they still picture her as the 27-year-old that they knew her to be, not who she would be at that time, which would have been 37. So, you know, they could only imagine she was so close to to passing the bar. What would Lauren's life have looked like after all that hard work she'd put into school? Yeah, and she wanted to be a public defender. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very selfless. It's a hard, hard job. Yep. And he robbed her of any opportunity to live her dreams. So the family indicated that despite the fact that they began to heal after the nightmares and fear of what happened to Lauren faded, they will obviously never forget her. They often talk about her bubbly personality, her passion for life, and what a go-getter she was. Sarah and Caitlin share memories with their children about their Aunt Lauren. They want to make sure that her spirit is never forgotten. They want their kids to know their Aunt Lauren, even though she's not still with us. Of course. And her sister, Caitlin, actually named her daughter Lauren in honor of her sister, which just makes me want to cry. Yeah, me too. So, excuse me. They they keep the tradition alive that Lauren started, and this just makes me love Lauren. It's called Pink Wednesdays. This is my kind of gal. So on these Pink Wednesdays, Lauren would wear pink to work, and she would eat cake that day. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that tradition. Not necessarily a pink cake, but any kind of cake. Any kind of cake. Just like, you know what? It's Pink Wednesday. I'm going to allow myself to have a cake. Couldn't you imagine me starting something like that? Well, you already started Blizzard Sundays, so Pink Wednesdays might make a sense. I know. Oh, it just makes me love her. It's like, it's you got to celebrate some days, even if it means nothing. You know? Well, especially by, by Wednesday, it's like, oh, it's hump day. We're halfway there, you know, but it's like you still feel like there's a, a million miles to go. So I just love little things like that. Yeah, it's cute. So they're especially thankful that they had time together as a family because Caitlin got married in June and Lauren wouldn't have come up at that point to be with the family had Caitlin not gotten married because she was so focused on the bar exam. So the fact that they were all together celebrating life and a new relationship, they are so thankful that that they had that because it was later, you know, just a week, a week later, Lauren was taken from them. It sounds like a tremendous family. Like they oh, really amazing. kind of love each other mm-hmm. and, you know, celebrate good things and, you know, just celebrate the thing. You know, you can't change the past. You can't change that Lauren's gone, but you can think of the good things. Yeah. Like we were all together. That was amazing. And it was a wonderful memory. And they celebrate that. And they yeah. think of the good memories, like you just said, the most. They try to think about all the great things about Lauren rather than the tragic and horrible way that she was taken from this world. Yeah. And it sounds like she was just such a special girl and this is just the horribly sad story of the murder of lauren giddings uh, that's it's terrible well thank you for telling it and you know you, you started out by saying that i'm i'm not sure if anybody's heard this one before but like they're all special stories unfortunately you know these are the worst days of these people's lives every single story that we have and you know whether you heard it or not you know hopefully we can all remember lauren and maybe have yourself a pink wednesday sometime right exactly (laughs) if you're having a piece of cake on wednesday or you know wearing pink that day think of lauren yeah for sure well thank you for telling that story Mm -hmm. uh we appreciate it and um if you like what you've heard you know not only you know leave leave a couple of reviews or whatever but like i mentioned come on over to patreon and uh there's 30 three plus episodes available for you in uh, the bonus fashion so Mm -hmm. check us out i want to say welcome to the crime and coffee couple club to uh rachel megan will and tristan so thank you guys so much it means the world to us yes especially i know we always say it but mike will text me i'm normally running through the hallways of work like a crazy person and i just stop in my tracks and it totally lifts me yeah so thank you guys so much each and every every one of you for being here if you want to support us and leave a five-star review like mike said anything you can do we appreciate the heck out of you 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 and, and you also in the back that's right and until next time Bye. Bye.